this is probably the last week that we'll look at the topic of justification. We've been thinking about that for a couple weeks here, and then we'll move on into some specific topics. Next week, we'll start thinking about uh, the Catholic idea of sacraments and thinking about what the Bible has to say about those kinds of things. But this morning, as we think about justification, we're going to focus specifically on justification by grace alone. I know Brother Shamblin was here last week, and I was excited that he talked from Ephesians 2 about these ideas. And so this is kind of a continuation of that idea, how we're saved by grace alone. So we will look at Romans 3 will be a main passage that we look at this morning. So if you want to turn somewhere, you can turn there. But we'll get to that in a minute, a few minutes. Before we look at that passage, though, I want to set the stage, give you a little historical context for this topic of how we're saved by grace alone and how it factored into the Reformation in the 1500s. So you go way back to the 400s, to the 5th century, and there was a man named Pelagius. And Pelagius taught that if God commanded us to do something, then we must have the ability to do what God commands. In other words, if we have a responsibility to do something, then we also have the ability to do it. And so this is what he taught, and this view was condemned as heresy by the church in Carthage in 418, and Augustine was involved in that as well. And the reason for that is because it goes against what the Bible teaches about sin, that God gives commands in the Bible, but the Bible also says that people are sinners and don't obey those commands without the grace of God. We're not capable of following God on our own, we must have his grace in order to obey. And so uh, we may have the, the physical ability, technically speaking, but we won't obey, we won't do what God says, because Romans 3, chap chapter 3, verse 12, no one does good, not even one. And so this is what's called the doctrine of total depravity. We'll talk a little bit more about that this morning. But it just means that every part of us is affected by sin. And so it means that even though our minds, our hands, our feet, they work, we can do things with them, that we still don't have the ability to do good or please God on our own. No one does good, not even one. That's why... We need the grace of God to be saved because it's not going to happen without his grace. We can't do it on our own. We don't have the ability to do what God commands on our own. So Pelagius thought we had that ability, and therefore we have the ability to live a perfect life and be saved. But that was condemned as heresy because that's being saved by works and not by grace. And we, we see that clearly not only in Romans 3 taught against, but elsewhere in the Bible as well. So we fast forward a little bit, that's Pelagius and Pelagianism. Fast forward a little bit, there eventually came about people who kind of took a middle position. And uh, this has been, become known uh, 
came to be known as what's called semi-Pelagianism, so kind of a middle position. And it says that we do have sin, but we're not totally depraved. We're more like partially depraved. And so we do need the grace of God in order to be saved, but there are parts that we're responsible to do in order to be saved. But the problem with that is, if, uh, if it's only partly the grace of God and it's partly us, then it's still not just the grace of God. It's still us doing something in order to earn our salvation. And so this was also condemned by the church as heresy. And you can see why, because if we need the aid of God to overcome our partial depravity, but we add the grace of, but we we add to the grace of God, then we're doing something in it. It's not just God. It's half us, it's half God. And so this was condemned in 529 as heresy as well. And that's where things get interesting and leads us more to our topic this morning. Because when you get to the 1500s, the time of the Reformation, one of the mantras of the Reformation is that we are saved by grace alone. Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. These are the five solas of the Reformation. So we're saved by grace alone. And the reason they emphasize this so much is because the Catholics, during the 1500s, uh, you might know about the practice of indulgences, how they were selling indulgences to essentially earn your way into heaven or earn your way faster into heaven. Uh, But it wasn't just that, it was the idea of sacraments as well and other things in the Catholic Church that were going against this idea of it just being grace, where you were adding on to grace in order to earn salvation. You have to do penance, you have to buy the indulgence, you have to go to Mass, Otherwise, you will not have right standing with God. And so this is something that the Reformation realized, well, this is, this is wrong. This is not the gospel. It's something that the Catholic Church taught. And when you look at the doctrinal statements, you can see it clearly, not just from then, but from now. So a couple examples. The Council of Trent then said this, that they who by sin have been cut off from God may be disposed through his quickening and helping grace to convert themselves to their own justification by freely assenting and cooperating with that grace. So notice what they're saying. God gives grace. It's not as if This is apart from grace. So when you talk to a Catholic, they're not going to say they're saved by works. They're going to say they're saved by faith and grace because it's involved. But what they're saying is it's not by grace alone. God gives us some grace, but we also must cooperate with that grace in order to be saved. Uh, We can decide to accept the grace or reject the grace. God's grace is needed, but... There's something needed from us as well in order to be saved. So that's not just then, that's also now. If you look at the Catholic Catechism now, uh, it states this, that God's free initiative demands man's free response. There's this idea again of us responding, cooperating with the grace of God. For God has created man in his image by conferring on him, along with freedom, 
the power to know him and love him. So the Catholic teaching is that God is not changing our will or changing our heart, but rather that he's offering us help, grace, but we must choose to cooperate with that grace in order to be saved. And so this is not salvation by grace alone. And that's what this comes down to. It's salvation by grace plus our own cooperating will, our own cooperating actions. Simply put, in the Catholic view, grace alone is not enough to save us. There must be something else with it in order to justify, in order to save. And that's what the Reformers were so concerned with and careful to emphasize, that because if it depends on us at all, even if God's grace is involved, then really we're not being saved by God's grace alone. We're we're still being saved by works. It's still a different way of salvation than we find in the Bible, a different gospel if we're doing the work in order to be saved. Sometimes you'll hear this phrase, and I'll say it later as well, but there's this idea of who is the mover. We're moved, of course, we know in the gospel we're called to respond in faith to God, but we're not the first mover. We're, we're being moved by God, by God's grace. His grace is the one working. And that's kind of how the, the reformers would emphasize this. God is moving. We are moved. We're not the mover in salvation. God is the one working in us, changing our hearts. We're not doing that ourselves. So we want to make sure we're not just talking about this in theory. We want to get this from the Bible So we'll look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 9. We'll look at 9 through 18 in Romans chapter 3. And this is very clear on the condition of humanity. So Romans 3, starting in verse 9, says this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, uh, actually I'll stop there, Uh, but we could continue. It continues to talk about how it's not by our works, how this is our condition. But we see here that the Bible is clearly teaching we're not naturally good. Uh, Despite what the culture thinks, there are songs written about believing that people are mostly good, basically good. But that's not what the Bible teaches, that every aspect of every person is ruled by sin. doesn't mean everyone is as bad as they could be. Praise God, by the grace of God, that's not true. But it does mean that every aspect of person is totally depraved. In other words, is not following God. So the reason that 
you loved God and chose him is because, not because it was in you, there was something you inside of you that desired him, but because he changed you, right? He did that work in your heart and gave you faith. That's what we read in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and you heard last week, right? By grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. So Ephesians says that even our faith, our response to God, even our faith is a gift. It's not something that comes from within us. It's something that God does in us. And so this is uh, really the natural outflow of this idea of being totally depraved. We're dead in our sin. We, we have no good that we can't respond to God. We can't turn to him. We need him to do something in us. And he does. He does that work. This is what the Reformers taught over against the Catholic teaching of grace plus us cooperating with the grace of God. And so this idea of grace alone and really this idea of people being totally depraved and God working salvation in people sometimes makes people not like the Reformers because of how they taught about the sovereignty of God. So if you've ever um, thought about Calvinism or what it is or what it's like, that's kind of a term that summarizes the sovereignty of God and how the Reformers believed it. Sometimes Calvinism is used kind of as like almost a, a bad word to people. Oh, those Calvinists. <laughs> Which uh, is just a strange thing to me. But uh, that's, that's sometimes the opinion of Calvinism or what the Reformers thought. And part of the reason for that is because they were so clear on us needing God, on God doing this work, that sometimes people can think that they overemphasize the sovereignty of God and denied the will of people or the responsibility of people or denied that people have free will. But if you've ever read Luther or Calvin or even most of the Puritans or Jonathan Edwards or even Charles Spurgeon, then you know that none of them actually thought that people didn't have a will or didn't have responsibility. In fact, just the opposite. They taught that people will always do what they want to do. That's the idea of the will. And so they didn't deny that people have responsibilities and that we must respond to the gospel. Just the opposite. They affirmed that. And that's really the problem, that we must respond to the gospel. But we're totally depraved. So how is that going to happen? There is none who seeks after God. There's none who does good. No, not one. So how is it that anyone will ever be saved? If that's our condition, that's what the Bible teaches about our condition as sinful humans. Well, it's this idea of God's grace and his grace alone. That's why this doctrine is so important. Because it reminds us that this is our condition. We need God to change us. Otherwise, we will not change. This is who we are. And even if it's a little bit up to us to cooperate with God, even if he does 99% and 1% is left up to us, then it's still not going to happen because 
we don't seek after God. We cannot do good. We cannot do it ourselves. So God must work in us and change us. The, the biblical word is he must regenerate us. We must be regenerated. We read that in, in Titus chapter 3. We're, we're made a new creation, right? That's what this idea comes from. And so this really is the good news that God gives grace, that God does this work in us so that we will be saved, that the complete sinfulness of my heart and your heart is not going to stop God from saving you. Our sin is not going to stop God from saving us because his grace is greater than our sin. He can overcome our sin. He doesn't need us to do anything. He doesn't need us to change our lives first, to get our life together, to cooperate and do some work in order to earn his grace. His grace is enough. It's a gift to us, and we're saved by grace alone. And so this is why it's not even right to say that we cooperate with God when we respond in faith. We are responding. It's our responsibility to do that. But that's not really us cooperating because we're not the decisive factor in that. We don't decide to have faith. We don't just wake up and say, I'm going to have faith in God and commit my life to him today. This is a gift, again, going back to Ephesians. It's a gift that God gives us. He opens our eyes to this truth. He changes our hearts. Faith is a gift by the grace of God. It's God operating on us. It's God moving us. He's the sole mover when it comes to salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord, in other words, we know from Scripture. And so it's his grace alone, his work alone, that changes our hearts and gives us faith. And so this is something that we need to think uh, clearly on when it comes to this topic, and we should be careful not to communicate that we must cooperate with God in order to be saved. Uh, really, when it comes down to it, that idea is more Catholic than Christian, that we need to cooperate with God. The Bible's clear again, we need to respond to God. We need to respond to the gospel. Our response is a response of faith. We believe that Jesus has done everything needed to give us right standing with God. We believe that. We don't do anything. We just trust that he has done everything. And that's our response. But again, we're responding because God has moved us, God has changed us, and we can't, really, we can't help but respond when he does that in our lives. So sometimes we as evangelicals can say things like, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, I've heard this phrase, God's a gentleman, he's not going to force you to do anything against your will, like it's not going to drag you kicking and screaming to heaven, you must respond to him, right? He's done what's needed, now you must respond. And in a certain sense, that's accurate, but sometimes when you talk that way, it can kind of communicate in certain settings that, well, God's given you some grace, but now you need to cooperate with God, you need to do something as well in, in turning to him. Sometimes, I know it sounds like I'm splitting hairs on this, sometimes it's kind of tricky to find out where is where in this conversation, but we need to be careful just when we communicate these things, that we're not communicating that God's done half the work, now you need to do half the work. 
No, God's done all the work. Now you respond in faith to him. And so we, we need to be uh, just thoughtful about this topic because it really does matter in how we call people to respond in faith. And ultimately it comes down to this. I, I thought about giving more examples. I'll leave my other examples for other times. But uh, really it comes down to this when it comes to this topic. He's God. Uh, people are not going to thwart his plan. People can't change the plan of God. He is God. He is going to do his plan. He will accomplish it. Uh, I think of the Apostle Paul as the prime example of this. Right, The grace of God in Paul's life. God didn't give Paul some grace and then wait for Paul to cooperate with him. Now, Paul was resisting God. And then what, what did God do? God, God showed up on the road and he, uh, he changed Paul, right? Anytime God wants, God can overcome a person's resistance. He can shine his light. He can change a person. That's what he did in Paul's life. That's why we pray. That's why we share the gospel, because we trust that God can do that work, and God will do that work. That's the only reason people are saved is because God does that. Even though it may not seem as miraculous, really every time someone is saved, God is doing that work, just like with the Apostle Paul. He's doing that same kind of work inside someone's heart. And it's God who does that work. Salvation belongs to him. It doesn't belong to us. We're moved. He is the only mover. And this doctrine of grace alone really gives us some clarity in remembering the, really the good news of salvation, that we are totally sinful incapable of coming to God, of pleasing him, and we are in desperate need of a savior. And God has sent us one in Jesus who has done everything to be saved. And so we exalt God in our own lives. We call other people to exalt God as well and respond to the gospel. And so this is the idea of being saved by grace alone. And we've thought about some of how it differs with Catholic teaching on grace Bless our cooperation in works. Uh, but let's pray and then we will uh, continue this.